Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. Today we have one of our correspondence or show and tell shows where our esteemed panel will be sharing what they're watching most closely in the market with you. Today we have James Daner with us. James, how are you? Doing good. Just uh, just left a brutal meeting with the planning and uh, or clearing and grading in the city of Bellevue. So... I'm feeling refreshed after they beat me up for an hour. Sounds sounds enthralling. <laughs> Henry, Henry Washington's also here to join us. Did you just get beat up by a town hall committee? <laughs> I, I didn't, but uh, man, it's funny. Rarely do those meetings seem to go uh, well. So maybe that's something we should talk about at some point, how to, <laughs> how to navigate dealing with your local city officials. Oh, that would be fun. Kathy Fecky, our last panelist today. How are you? I am doing so well. We are hosting a retreat for our company. All our real wealth employees are here, the investment counselors, the property teams, and, and we're visioning, we're, we're planning for the future, and we're, believe it or not, really excited, which will tie into my article later. <laughs> Kathy, when do we get invited? I was going to say, I didn't get a Malibu invite. Is, yeah. <laughs> we're on the team. We could be in the real wealth team. You guys, it's an open door policy with you anytime. Just come on by. But it, James needs to just sail on down and, you know, park oh. outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or mm. Park more. Mm. Drop anchor. Drop anchor. <laughs> <laughs> James can take his boat. I'm taking 
spirit air. <laughs> Sounds horrible. <laughs> the worst. All right. Well, let's get to today's topics. Each of you brought a uh, news story that we're going to discuss. But first, I just wanted to get your impact. Your your, your uh, what's the word? Impact. What Input? What am I talking about? Input. There we. Thank you, Henry. <laughs> Can you, Henry? You host the rest of the show. <laughs> It's late for me. Uh, anyway, I wanted your input on this inflation report that came out last week. It was uh, pretty brutal. Um, James is shaking his head in disgust. What, what did you think? Uh, I, I think that we might be in this for the long haul. Um, you know, the, the fact that it just keeps going up. And, it, you know, for a while, it's like they were blaming it on certain things. And now they just can't. Like, energy was a big you know, there's a lot of scapegoats that have been going on the last three to four months, and they kind of pulled all that out, and it's still going up. And unfortunately, it's it doesn't look good for us. Like it's you, I, this could be a 12 to 24 month issue, and and you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately for us, what the Fed is saying is they're going to put us into a recession if this doesn't improve, and it, so it looks like we we could be going going down a little bit. I'm going to give a positive, like other side opinion. Opposite opinion. That's good. I'm going to let you know everything's going to be all right now. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> I do have an album that my daughter uh, recorded of me singing in the car when I drive her to school. And I, I, I can, I'm happy to share that. But the other perspective is that it's kind of flat. I mean, the, the positive news in this, and remember, headlines are meant to scare you and make you mad. That's their job so that you will watch and we are motivated by fear. And that's what's going to get you to watch the news. So remember that. But it's pretty, it's pretty flat from month to month, which is a good sign. In fact, it was slightly improving. And that tells me that in a couple of months, when we're finally comparing year over year to higher inflation, which really started at the end of last year, it's going to be a different story. So I'm actually seeing it as positive as it hasn't really gone up so much month to month. It's holding steady and uh, might really turn around in the next couple of months. So holding the vision there, guys. Isn't it a surprise that in a volatile market, things are functioning Volatily? <laughs> what do you mean? Is that a word? What? Is that a word? Like, it's volatile right now, right? The inflation was high, and then it dropped for like a month, and everybody was like, yeah, and then now it's gone back up. It, it, essentially, it's flat. Am I the only, like, am I the only one that operates, like, it's a thing now. I'm operating as if it's a thing, and I'm going to operate as if it's a thing until it's not a thing, right? So we know it exists. Um, and so, like, as a general consumer, I think the the only thing you can really do is look to hedge, right? And you can hedge with your real estate investments typically or uh, and look to bring in additional sources of income, right? So that you can afford the higher cost of goods. Like I'm just I'm happy that it's not increasing as rapidly as maybe some thought, but for me it's just it's here, operate like it's here. Use it as an opportunity to learn how to build some additional income and continue to hedge. I guess the the thing that that worried me about this was that yeah, like the top line CPI went down from 8.3% to 8.2%, but the core mm -hmm. CPI which excludes energy prices and food because they're too volatile went up month to month 0.6% and it's like going up. And that's the number the Fed cares about. So like when they're when we're talking about Fed policy, they're looking at this and thinking that it's going up. And there's a whole lot of reasons for this. We can talk about this, but rent and housing is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And it's not likely 
the rent and housing shelter part of uh, the CPI is not likely to come down for like at least another six months. So I think that's pretty concerning. And just in general, like the reason at least I look at it is because we'll, we'll talk about this, but most people are forecasting housing prices to go down. And in my opinion, the only, the only time they're going to, you know, I think I don't think it's going to be a crash, but they'll probably start to go down a little bit. And the only time we'll start to see growth again is once the Fed at least pauses and then hopefully reverses course and starts lowering rates. So to me, that report just made it look like it's months out at least um, before the Fed even like stops for a second to see if this is even working or not, which they probably should. And the, con- the concerning thing is, is they were predicting it to go up 03 and it doubled what their prediction was. And that's the scary part is their predictions in forecasting have been 100% wrong for the last 12 months. And so every time they think this is going to have this impact, they're they're 100% wrong. And and that's yeah. what freaked everyone out is they were they weren't just wrong by a little bit, they're wrong by 100%. Yeah. Um even though it's only 0.6, it's their forecast was way off. Well, remember it was just a year ago they said inflation was transitory. So they, they have been completely off. I'm not going to trust very much of what comes out of their mouths. But um, they are saying that it's gonna, they're going to keep raising well into next year. We'll see. Uh, but I again, we talked about this before. A lot has already been priced in when it comes to uh, mortgage rates and, and the stock market. They, they react immediately when they hear those kinds of things. So I, I'm still going to hold that vision that we're going to be seeing better numbers over the coming months. And that might... That might shift things. Totally. I, I saw a, a, a tweet about this today that, that I thought was a good description of pricing things in that the stock market and mortgage rates are not, they're not a mirror. They don't reflect what's going on. They're a crystal ball. They're like, it's people trying to forecast what's going on in the future. And so if you look at the stock market, they're pricing this in. And if you look at mortgage rates, they're pricing this in. Of course, things can keep changing, but it's not like they're waiting around for it. All right. Well, you guys helped me talk through my anxiety about interest rates. So thank you for, for this, this counseling session. I don't know if I, I helped. <laughs> I don't know. I, I recovered. I could barely talk like 20 minutes ago. So no, no. Well, there's one thing to remember. It's that there are a few things that perform really well in an inflationary environment. And generally, you know, it's real estate, gold, uh, you know, hard assets, obviously energy right now, if you're going to invest in anything. Um, unrelated to real estate, it might be energy. For sure. Well, well, we'll talk about some of the implications of this and what else is going on in the in the market now in, in mid-October. But first, we are going to take a quick break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right, James, you're up first for show and tell. What do you got for us for this correspondence show? What news story or thing are you following most right now? Um, so something that I'm following, right? Like as we're underwriting properties and we're trying to predict, you know, we are, you know, we're investors in all different categories. We do apartments, syndications, buy and hold. We do development and we do short term flips. And, you know, in the short term right now with the market, those short term high yield investments are by far the riskiest right now. Like if you're looking at flipping homes, it is a risky venture, but as people kind of exit the market, there's actually a ton of opportunities out there. And so, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people and they're, they're like shocked that I'm buying so many flips right now. And, and the reason what we're doing is we're really just trying to beef up our underwriting and making sure that the deal's bulletproof all the way through. And this article kind of talks and gives some guidance about it. It's actually from NPR, and in the title of it's Home Prices See the Biggest Drop in Nine Years Thanks to high, Higher Mortgage Rates, which you would think that article would make me not want to flip properties um, and, and buy that short-term investment. It, but what it does is it does a really good job at guiding where the market could go and how you predict it into your underwriting. And so uh, one of the, the speakers on there was actually uh, Mark Zandi from Moody, and, and they, they put in kind of his um, analytics behind it, which was that they feel that the uh, peak markets are going to come down about 10% over the next 12 months. What they are saying, though, is, too, is any of the markets that bubbled heavily, which is Phoenix, uh, Idaho, even some Austin, uh, even Seattle, that those markets are subject to more 20% drops during those times, which we have already seen. We've already seen that big, big drop 
because uh, I'm seeing in like a lot of our tech spaces that we're actually about 30% down from the highest peak sale, not from median home price, but from the peak peak sale number. And and so it is consistent. But what the concerning thing is, is he says that is based on us not being in a recession. And if we go into a recession, they're actually predicting that each it will be more of a 20 percent drop for the, the slower, steadily markets and a 30 to 40 percent drop in these big peak market jumps or 20 to 30 percent drops in the ones that kind of um, that jumped really high in that second quarter. And so what we're using this is for our underwriting is we're tracking those trends. So as we're looking at our next potential deal, it's been very helpful to know this information because we're, we're looking at the markets that already deflated rapidly. And then what we're doing is we're building in these predictions, the 5 to 10% off of the market. And then that's what we're going for with the values of these properties. Because as flippers, there's still great opportunities out there. We're buying homes very, very cheap compared to what we have been paying the last 24 months. And then, you know, our goal is is to make it kind of more bulletproof is as long as we know the worst case scenario is not making money on a deal, then we're OK to buy that deal because there's so much pad in the performa. Meaning like you, as long as you're not losing money, as long as we're not losing money, it's a win in a transitionary market, because what you do is you don't leave any money on the table and then you're still going through the motions. And that's like, you know, if we're looking at a 10 percent drop in the next five to six months based on what this article is reading. He's talking about a 10% drop over a 12-month period. And that so that gives you that buffer. If we're factoring in 10% and we're at six months in, that's 5%. So it gives us that extra 5% cushion, which is a big deal in the margins. The other thing it does is it's directing me towards where to buy and where the trends are. Like, I want to go after the markets that already collapsed really quick. Because those are the ones that they just came down fast and now they're kind of hovering. And those are going to be the ones that are actually going to drop a little bit less because they already had the major impact. So I'm actually targeting the areas that have had the biggest drop because usually what happens is it, it's a domino effect and things start falling. You know, the more expensive markets go first and then the, the softer markets fall last. And so those are ways that we've been able to kind of look at these trends, look at what's going on, and then look at the smart investments to make. Because I do know, I don't want to sit on the sidelines right now because the buys we're getting are just ripper deals. Like, no-brainers. Um, on the single-family homes for fix and flip, and then the actually the small multifamily family like four to eight units, we are seeing massive opportunity in those areas. And so by watching these trends, the predictability, and then, you know, also watching other like, and we're using that kind of same theory with the rental buying too. Like if we saw rents jump 35, 40% in a certain market, we're going to actually predict that those are going to come back a little bit too. And so based on the forecast that we're going into recession, we're just kind of factoring those things in the deal. And you can kind of really read it based on how high that second quarter uh, appreciation was or rent growth. And if it's high appreciated, high rent growth, we're building it back. And if it was steady, it's actually a lot more predictable because even in the article, it talks about like the steady markets, they're still ant- anticipating growth of four to five percent in those areas. So, it, it, you know, it's just really good information to build into your underwriting, build into how you're looking at things for the next 12 to 24 months. And it really keeps you safe on on that next purchase that you're doing. Yeah, you know, I was born and raised in California, and I'm really used to these kind of volatile markets. It's, it's, you, you can make it a tremendous amount of money when things are going up, and then you've got to watch out when, when prices come down. I know in 2008 in California, if you bought in 2006, it took you 10 years to make your money back. 
um, and because prices dropped so much. But when it takes off, oh man, that's when you you become a millionaire overnight. You know, so if you can if you can get into those growth markets when prices are down uh, over time, it, it's a great bet. It's just buying at the peak, and and so for markets like Seattle, San Francisco, obviously Boise, uh, Phoenix, Nashville, Austin. If you're going to be going into those markets, you really need to understand, you, you need to not pay full price, right? <laughs> because you don't have to right now. Um, so really understanding where those discounts are and, and being able to you know, have this opportunity to get into those markets where it might make more sense than it did uh, just a few months ago. But you know, volatile versus these linear markets, which are the ones that we focus on at Real Wealth because they're just flat and boring most of the time. When you look at where prices aren't changing and where rents are continuing to rise, it's the Cincinnati's, the Cleveland's, the Baltimore. Uh, these areas keep coming up because builders weren't going there. They weren't like, hey, I want to build a whole subdivision in, in Cincinnati. Uh, but you still have the... That's literally never been said before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone's building there. But, um, but point being, there's just not a whole lot of inventory and there's still... There's this massive group of people that maybe thought, oh, now I can buy a house. Now they can't. There's just, you know, not a lot of new supply in those markets. I've, I've been preaching the unsexy markets for several episodes on this show. And now the unsexy markets are starting to look a little sexy, ain't they, guys? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, James, thank you for bringing that story on. Super helpful. On Yeah, I think that the key is, you know, if housing prices are coming down, like just understand what's going on, you know, and as James gave some really good advice on how to protect yourself, like you don't have to panic if you're informed and prepared for it. Um, so hopefully the show is helping you do that. Henry, what did you bring to school today? Oh, let me check my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know me, I'm, I'm always going to look out for my landlords, man. I'm a, I'm a buy and hold investor. And so my article is from Redfin and it basically states that rents are growing, but half as fast as they were six months ago. Right. And so, uh, based on the recent data, it's showing that rents are up 8.8 or 9%, um, year over year in September, uh, across the country. And that's cut in half from from what it was. And uh, to me, this is just another indicator that, you know, rents typically follow behind housing prices. And we started to see the slowdown in the housing market a few months back, but we still saw rents increasing. And so now it seems like things are starting to catch up from a rent perspective as far as rents going down. Some of the things it talks about are increase in uh, supply due to people not selling, but deciding to become landlords because they got locked in at such low interest rates. Um, and so instead of selling that property, they're looking to rent that property. That's an increase in, um, in inventory as far as rentals are concerned. And then, um, less people, you know, less migratory people, right? People, uh, have kind of either done that or they've had to go back to where they went because now companies are asking them to come back. Right. Um, so, what it also talks about, which is which is very important, is it talks about, yes, it's cut in half, but there's still several markets across the country who are seeing double-digit rent increases still, right? And when you look at these markets, just like Kathy said, Oklahoma City, 
right? 24%. Louisville, Kentucky, 17 17.5%. Nashville, Tennessee, 17% increase. Cincinnati, 16.5% increase, right? Um, I think the most popular markets that are seeing an increase on this list that I can tell are um, New York City, Portland, Oregon, and San Antonio, both seeing all New York is at 15% increase. San Antonio is at 12. Portland's at 14, right? So there are plenty of markets where rent is still increasing. Um, but there are several of the more popular markets that rents are starting to then see a decline. And so what does all this tell you? For me, it's paying attention to what's happening in larger markets and understanding that if history repeats itself, rents will come down a little bit because housing prices are coming down a little bit. And so I need to be prepared for that as I'm looking to buy deals. And so it's all about watching for the signs and then preparing for it in your underwriting. So if I'm underwriting a deal, I don't want to have to under I don't want to have to buy a property that only cash flows with the the highest prospective rent. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, if, it, <laughs> you know, an agent, will, an agent will tell you when you're trying to buy a deal, you, you, you can get five thousand dollars a month rent for this thing, man. It's going to cash flow like crazy. Well, well, you might get three. Right. So <laughs> understand, understanding um, the trends and understanding that the larger markets might go first, the smaller markets are going to fall behind and knowing how much watching this number month over month will let you know how much to pay attention to it in your underwriting. So as you're looking at deals, make sure that you're conservative on your rent estimates so that in the event you get more great, but in the event you get less, you've planned for it. And if you're underwriting it and it cash flows at a lower rent price, then you're probably going to give yourself some padding and be a little safe on the buy. Yeah. And like you said, don't get your um, rental quotes from your sales agent. <laughs> Talk to the property manager, please. 100% occupancy all year long. <laughs> top, top, tippy top rents. It'll be great. Wait, is, is that not true? <laughs> no one ever moves. They just want to pay top tier rent always. And it's interesting what you said about, um, you know, rents coming, at least the growth, rent growth coming down, slowing down a bit. That's more to my point that one of the huge numbers in our inflation data is rent. It's the cost of housing. So to see that starting to slow down is is good for good. future numbers. Totally agree. Future inflation numbers are going to be good. See, the more we believe that. And, and Dave, you told us to stop shopping. I, I know. had this retreat. I had basket full <laughs> of food. And anyway, I haven't been able to slow down the buying, but maybe hopefully you guys did for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also just the natural trend of what's kind of it, it's just kind of happening. Like as the market's slowing down and, and we're kind of going into a recession, things the the velocity of money and everything's just kind of it's it. Well, the money's starting to disappear out of the market, and then people are not going to be able to pay those high rent growths anymore. It's just not going to be affordable. You know what I was I was looking that it was what was it that seventy two percent of consumers have less money in their savings account. Oh. In the past 12 months than they did 12 months ago, 72%. So I think what's happening, too, is people are being a lot more cautious about making these decisions. Like, even in the rental market, they're they're not just grabbing that next nice place. They're going, okay, you know, because we've even seen that in some of our rentals. Like, the ones that aren't tricked out, that are a little bit more affordable, are filling a lot quicker right now. Whereas 12 months ago, everyone was stacked full of money, and they were ready to, 
they were ready to pay the highest possible rent because they wanted the nicest possible place. And so the consumers are also just, they're kind of slowing down. And I, th- I think that's going to knock the rent growth down. But like Henry said, as long as you build that into the underwriting and you're not going, you know, be cautious of those markets that are spiking right now. Those are the ones I'd be careful in. And the ones that have just kind of flattened out and started to chill out, those are actually the ones that you want to kind of target because, A, people lose their appetite for them, so there's more opportunity. And, B, they've already got the, the – it's already starting to slow down so you can run your metrics a lot better. Absolutely. And another thing that you can think about as far as being a landlord, right, you want to put yourself in the best position possible, right? You want to be able to be flexible with what you can charge so that you can be more diligent in your tenant selection, right? If you have to get a certain amount of rent for a deal to make sense and that and that is a higher number, you're going to limit the amount of people that can actually afford there and you might not be renting to potentially the best tenant. But if I can take less and open up my pool of people looking to rent, then I can, you get a better, uh, you can have better tenant selection, better tenant screening. You can hopefully get a long-term tenant. I would gladly take a long-term tenant uh, that's going to stay for two or three years at, uh, you know, maybe a hundred or 200 bucks less than what the top tier rent is if they're going to stay for a long period of time. Right. And so it's going to help you have better candidates and help you be in a position to where you can, help people and be of benefit to the people in the communities. Cause there are plenty of people who are going to be looking for housing with interest rates being so high. Um, and the more flexible you can be with what you can offer, it gives you the more opportunity to make sure that you're going to get the long-term return that you're looking for. I, I that's, that's a great point, Henry, totally. And I love that you brought this story because it is, it is something that's going to be evolving. We're actually going to be doing a show about rent and potential rent declines in the next couple of weeks. So make sure to pay attention to that. And in preparation for that show, I've been preparing a data drop that is rent prices for the top markets over the next couple of, uh, over the last couple of months. And there are actually four markets that have seen year-over-year rent declines already. Only four out of several hundred. I'm going to see if any of you can guess. If you can guess it, I'll give you a prize. You'll get the I'll buy you dinner next time I see you. And you'll get a free autographed copy of Real Estate by the Number. Oh, I'm in. Um, if <laughs> Sold. I'll give you each one guess. All right. Uh, if you get any of the four, I'll, I'll do it. Kathy, go. San Francisco. No. No. Oh, I want dinner. <laughs> we'll still get dinner. <laughs> oh, I, I know this. I know this. And it, it wasn't the cities I thought it would you be. You should know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I do <laughs> Henry, do you got a guess? Milwaukee. No. <laughs> but you were kind of close because I don't know geography. <laughs> I thought it was, I, I thought it yeah, was the same place. Then Minneapolis is what you're looking at. Yes. Okay. But that was your second guess. James, you can't guess that one anymore. Is it Cleveland? No. No. Why? Number one, James, you should know this. Spokane, Spokane, Washington. Rent has already gone down 6%. Wow. And the number two, the four are, I'll give you a hint. And um, in the, in a future episode, we'll have the data drop with all this data. But uh, Spokane was negative 6% in September. Reno is negative 3%. St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, which we should probably do a show on those two cities because they did enact some um, new policy. Um, 2% down and Minneapolis 1% down. So those are the ones. Um, anyway, 
that after that, there's, you know, the low ones all end with uh, AZ. So a lot in Arizona are really slowing down. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll, I'll share that soon. Since I got it on my second guess, can you send me half a book? Yeah. I'll, I'll, which half do you want? The top, <laughs> bottom, or f- like instead of the first or half, I'm going to rip it in half. And you I want the half J. Scott wrote. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good call. It's way better. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That was good, Henry. Um, for that, I'll, I'll autograph your book. And <laughs> I'll just glue. I'll glue Jay's two halves together to make you one whole book. All right. Well, with that, let's get to Kathy's story. What did you bring for us today, Kathy? Well, mine is from USA Today, so this is not a hard-hitting story. Um, but the t- <laughs> swipes at USA Today. Shots fired. Zing. <laughs> um, as home sales stall, sellers' fix-it punch list budget is fifty percent higher. The data shows. Uh, so basically, the article talks about. Uh, and then like the fourth paragraph, it says buyers were once willing to waive contingencies, including home inspections today. Nope. There, there were 60,000 purchases that fell through in June. That's 14%. Of course, June is a while back. So these are dated numbers <laughs> USA Today. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but that was 14% of homes under, under contract on record, the highest on record. Uh, so to summarize this, I talked about it in our last show that there's the seller's market and the buyer's market. And when I'm in front of a room and I ask people, what's a seller's market? They say, it's a great time to buy. And I say, no, no, a seller's <laughs> market means the seller has the power. Yeah, it's kind of in the name. <laughs> it's in the name, but a lot of honestly, like, like, love you all. And this is wrong so many times. So many people buy in a seller's market and sell in a buyer's market. That's like, uh, you know, buy buy high, sell low type thinking. So just know that right now things are shifting from the seller's market where it was good for the seller, yet I know y'all were buying. And then in, and now it's shifting to a buyer's market, which means you have the power as a buyer. This is your turn. This is good news. So depending on who you are and what you're trying to do in real estate, uh, these markets matter, right? If you're as a home builder, you know, we've got subdivisions all across the country. It was a great time to be a seller the last few years. Not so much today. Uh, I'm sure James could agree with me. Hard to be a seller. You have to work harder. If you're, you can't just put a sign in front of your house and have 90 people come and try to buy it. It's now uh, 50 days on market is, is the average. So it's taking longer at least again, according to this article, it's taking longer. You have to do better as a seller. You got to put more money in. It's costing more. The The cost of materials is higher. Buyers are going to demand more. So if you're a buyer, this is your turn. If, it, if you're a seller, you got to work harder and you got to know what you're doing. Just like James was saying earlier, you've really got to know your numbers really well right now. <laughs> I love this article uh, because I'm a firm believer punching out your house. Like if you are in a transitionary market or a soft market, the last thing you want to do is work for 30 to 45 days to get that buyer on your property and for them to walk over a punch list items. And, and right now, you know, we have a lot of listings in the market. We have about 70 listings, 75 listings. 
We are pending above 50% of those, which is actually really good right now with what's going on. But we're doing that because, yeah, as a broker, we are working our tails off. We are calling every person that's going through. We're calling every broker to find out how many showings they're getting that are competitive with us. Because we actually what we're doing with that is we want to get, a, you know, if we have another listing in the area and it's not selling or stale, we actually want to get in front of them on the price drop so we can ink before they will. And so, like, we're having to work really, really hard. And as you go to sell these things, they have to be punched out. We we went over this for 30 minutes this morning with one of I have a flip that's going live on Thursday. We punched it out five times. We've done a pre-inspection report on it. We are hitting everything on the pre-inspection report. And I know for a lot of flippers, they do have the, the mindset or of going, you want to leave a couple things on the table for people so they can have it and you can give it to them on the inspection. I think that is a terrible idea right now. You just want to give them the best finished product. And every buyer, because there's a limited amount of buyers, at least in our market right now, you know, we went from, from having 30 showings a week, which was getting us those no inspection offers, to three. If you do not want unfinished items to spook off your first three buyers, that is probably going to be one of your buyers on these houses. And so taking the time, spending that little extra money will help you sell that property dramatically faster and for more. And so spending that extra 50% on the punch list, I believe it, and they should be doing it because the amount of money you'll get back, you know, because as we go into a buyer's market, buyers will beat you up on everything. They're going to beat you up on time. They're going to beat you up on items. Because they can. Because they can, and they should. They should get the right product because they're a limited buyer pool buying it. And, you know, if if you don't leave that item up, they, they might turn a $500 item into a $2,000 item or even worse, walk from your, your sale. So punching out your house is, I'm a firm, firm believer that you need to take the time, slow it down, do not roll them out too early, price it well, and make sure it, a buyer feels really good about you, your product, but also as you as a seller. If you take that little extra time, they feel better about the whole transaction. That's how you get a deal pending in this market right now. Yeah, this is the time where you still have to go back to staging. And at our um, Park City project, our I would say our last, we just changed sales teams because I think they got lazy. I hope they're not listening, but it was just, just so easy. And now you have to work hard. And this new, this new team is putting up the balloons and the signs and spending the money on the ads. They're going to spend $200,000 just on marketing for this project because they know that's what it's going to take. Um, and, and to go international. So it's, it's again, you've got to work harder if you're trying to sell. Um, Real Wealth has generally acted as a buyer's agent, helping people buy. So it's like, ah, yes, it's like our market again for that side of the business. Up until now, we were the ones without the power. It was like the seller saying, no, you know, this is the price too bad if you don't like it. Or, uh, you know, they're, they're just, it was almost impossible to even find anything. Now we have more inventory. We were getting better deals. It, it's just, this is for me, like this is our time for that side of the business. For the side of the business that's selling, that's where a lot of our efforts going to have to go. Um, but we're finding creative ways to do it. I think that uh, I don't want people to miss how good of a tip that was that James gave on punching out your house mm -hmm. and getting it as ready as possible when you're looking to sell it. If you are flipping in this market, that is a phenomenal tip. And he had mentioned that a $500 item can turn into a $2,000 item, both because of opportunity cost, because of time, right? Like you're going to end up having to fix that thing anyway. Yes. Right. But now you're, you're, it might prolong you closing the deal, which 
takes money out of your pocket for holding costs. It may have that buyer walk. So you've got another 20, 30 days on market, right? Because you're getting less people walking your property now. Um, and all of that increases your cost of holding that property when you could have just paid two, three hundred dollars to go ahead and fix that punch lift item off the top and get that house sold quicker. That li- the little things matter a whole lot more now. And I think if you got into the game of flipping houses when the market was amazing for doing so, um, you may not have had to hone that skill. You may not have had to think about the little things. So that tip that James just gave you is huge. If you're new in this game, the little things matter a whole lot more now, and you need to pay attention to those small details. And even though sales are down 20% from last year, there's still 4.8 million. We're on track for 4.8 million in sales. It's down from 5.9 million last year, but that was a really a record year. Uh, 4.8 million is kind of sort of average and normal. So people are still buying and selling. It hasn't come to a stop and people really need to realize that 4.8 million homes. That's a lot of homes trading hands today. We got spoiled, Kathy. (laughs) I'm spoiled. I listed a house last night, late last night. It's now, what time is it here? 12, one. It was one when we started. So it's about what? one thirty now. And I don't have a showing yet. Oh! <laughs> oh my God! Are you? Did you price? Did you drop the price? Drop price! Exactly. <laughs> you gotta drop it. I got price. <laughs> it's been yeah, gosh. I'll man, make you it, an offer right now, Henry. Twenty percent under under list price. Just six for whatever days, it is. Bro. I don't even know what it is. I would have had <laughs> I would have had ten showings by now, but I put it on the market last night, and 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 not even half a day has gone by, and I don't have a showing yet. So. Jeez. Whoa, woe is me. The market's the, the market's crashing. Send your thoughts and prayers to Henry um, on Instagram. Tease and peace. Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally speaking, it's just like there's a reason it's called the buyer's market and the seller's market. And if you're an investor, there's a benefit to either one. Like when you're mm-hmm. buying, there's one. There's, there's benefits to that. When you're a seller, there's one. And you just need to adjust and uh, act accordingly. So thank you all for all these tips. Um, they're super helpful to navigating this market. Um, as we've sort of all said, there is risk in this market. Like there is risk in this kind of environment, but there is also opportunity. So it really, this is the time to really um, know your numbers, understand your market really well, um, and look for those great opportunities that are that are coming around like uh, everyone here was talking about. So we do have a, a question from the forums that we will get to, but first we're going to take a quick break. All right, for the last part of today's show, we are going to go to the Bigger Pockets forums and ask a, and, and discuss a question from Keohe Brewer. I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies if I didn't. Uh, the question is when should you sell off a burr property? My question is, when should you sell off a bird property? My subject property is in Hawaii. There's a saying, everything has a price. Any feedback, much appreciated. So we're not getting a lot of details on the specific property here, but um, so let's make this a philosophical question. Henry, what do you think? When should you sell off a bird property? Not never. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, look, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big uh, proponent of the burr. Um, I'm more of a, a HELOC guy. So 
if it's me, I, and like I said, there's not a lot of information here, so I'm going to go off myself. I'm, gonna, I'm a buy and hold investor typically. So if I bought a property that I was that I bought under value, added value to it, and then got the rents where I wanted them to be, I would typically just look to do a line of credit instead of a refinance on that. Um, and then that gives me access to that capital for me to use it when I need it. It's a whole lot cheaper for me to do that too, because when you refi your your interest is going to be front loaded on that new loan and you take out a new loan at a higher amount. Um, and so I'm assuming they haven't done the refinance already. If they've done the refinance already, the best time to sell it would have been when the market was at its height. The next best time to sell it is now, right? Like we're still, we're still seeing fairly decent, uh, fairly decent, uh, prices on homes and they're, and they're starting to come down and we don't know exactly when they're going to peak again. Cause we haven't seen the fed level off on interest rate hikes yet. Um, and so, but if you are selling it cause you need money and you haven't done the refinance yet, I would look at a HELOC instead. It's cheaper money. You don't change your mortgage. So you, you keep your cash flow, you get access to the money and you only pay interest on it if you have to use it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know without seeing the numbers, but if if you have already taken all your money out of that deal, you did a refi, you got all your money back, and you're kind of at zero basis, and you're locked into a low rate, and it's cash flowing, I can't see a very good reason to sell it, because if you sell it, well, first of all, if you just sell it, you're going to pay capital gain tax. If you don't, if you, if you don't want to do that, then you're going to have to 1031 exchange. What are you going to buy, and how is it going to cash flow? Uh, with the rates. I mean, obviously, there are markets where you can still get cash flow. And as we were talking about, you can find some really good buys right now. Um, so if if your Hawaii property, after taking out all your cash is really not cash flowing that well, and you have a tremendous amount of equity in it, and it's a good and you're able to sell it because that market, you know, it's it's Hawaii, you know, maybe somebody really is looking for their place in Hawaii. And you can take a bunch of cash and you found something else that's better that you could 1031 into that still works with the high rates, then I don't see a problem with that. I mean, we help people do exchanges all the time because they have too much debt equity sitting in the property. And sometimes the equity line is just not big enough. You know, in a place like Hawaii, if you made hundreds of thousands of dollars, your your equity line might not go that high. So again, it just depends if you can find that replacement property and that replacement property performs better than what you have. I'm glad you brought that up, Kathy, because my answer was going to be a mathematical one, which is try and figure out the return on equity. And Kathy was just talking about that. A really popular metric is uh, cash on cash return and return on equity is sort of a similar idea. But instead of just the money that you put down to invest in the property at the time of purchase, uh, you use uh, the total amount of equity that you have in the property. So that's the money you've put in, as well as the money that you have earned by the market appreciation or any forced appreciation. And that will tell you how efficiently your property is generating cash flow for you. And to Kathy's point, you can do that calculation um, for the property that you own. And this is true of not just a burr. This is for regular investments too. Mm -hmm. But you can do this analysis and say like, okay, I'm getting, let's just say a 10% return on equity in this property. But everything in the market that I could buy is only 7% return. So what I own now is a better cash flow for me. Or if you do the analysis and everything that you could go buy, to Kathy's point, is better than what you're doing, sell it now and then reallocate that capital to something that's going to earn you cash flow more efficiently. Okay, Dave. I guess I'll take your half of the book, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
I actually did write that chapter. I wrote that chapter, and there is actually I did do a YouTube video on that on Bigger Pockets that that uh, could help you calculate that if you want to do that. And I am a huge return on equity guy. That is how I built my whole portfolio out. I every year I audit every property I own. What is my return on equity? And because I think it's one of the, in my opinion, and I know it's different than uh, a lot of people else's. I will sell anything. If I get the right price and I can move it into a better investment engine, I will sell it. I will not sell my wife. I will not sell my kids, and I will not sell my dog. But everything else is for sale. What and about so your like kidney? Even right in, your kidney? Uh, I, I, but well, I still have one remaining. Yeah, you can you you can live with one. How much is it? It's a number. But we'll see. I live in Amsterdam. I'll go. I'll go ask a guy. <laughs> okay. Hey, everything is for sale. Like I mean, I I mean, even my boat's up for sale right now because it's like, why wouldn't I try to sell it? It's a juiced up asset, and it, like when riding the peaks and valleys is where you make your biggest amount of wealth, right? Like we we acquired a ton of Burr properties in two thousand and seven, eight, nine. And we had great, they didn't have much equity then, but they had great equity. And after three years, we were able to look at that return and then trade those out for numerous different units. Because at the end of the day, when I'm doing a burr, I'm like, I have something right now. I have a duplex for sale in Queen Anne, Washington, which is Queen Anne is a class A neighborhood. It's completely renovated. I have 400 grand in equity on this thing. And I have a, I have a rate of 3.95 on a, on a 30 year fix that's cash flowing me 1400 bucks a month with no money left in that deal and and people are always like well why would you sell that you have no money in you're making a great return it's in a great area because if i have 400 grand sitting there i will trade these two units for eight and not only that i'm going to buy a value add where i'm walking into equity immediately creating more wealth on that and then i'm going to take that new gunpowder and then buy and trade out again and i'm a constant trader and i know it the the one negative part about doing that is your overall cash flow in the short term is not good you're always trading into more equity positions but it's short term paying for long-term gain for me. I am chasing to get to a certain unit count that will pay me a certain amount of cash flow so I can chill out. I need to get a lot of units to get to there. And by trading those out and returning the equity, that's how I increase the portfolio because equity is no good for me until I use it. And if it's just sitting there, it's going to go up and down. And it, and so I'm always looking to, what is my return on equity? Can I beat it in the current market with the cash flow? And then what kind of equity position can I get out of that deal if I'm buying another value add. And so I don't do a trade for like another turnkey, but if you go and you're taking that burr, you buy another value add, you burr it again, you might be able to get two more out of that. And so just keep building that equity and then use it. Don't don't bank it. It's the biggest mistake I see investors make out there. Just one thing about trading, use the right mechanism. You need to use a 1031 exchange defer your taxes, use it that way. Because if you start eating the taxes, it it, it gets washed out. So do it in the right method too. Totally. I think that's that's one of the more painful lessons I learned when I first started investing. I was like building up all this equity and I was so proud of it. And I was like, one day I'm going to I'm going to sell this property and make a lot of money. And then a few years later, I was like, man, I should have taken that money out and reinvested it a long time ago. Because I mean, that's that's sort of the key to building your wealth over the long term is reinvesting your profits. And if you keep your equity in these homes, you're not reinvesting it, even if it's jacking up your cash flow a little bit, you're, you're getting more cash. The efficiency that which you're earning that cash actually starts to go down and you're using more money to make la- a lot more money to make slightly more cash. And that's just less efficient. Yeah. So my, so my takeaway is buy Dave's books. He's good at numbers. And then 
go ahead and get on the pre-order list for James' book, How to Flip Houses Like a Rockstar Holding Rockstar. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be all good, man. All right. Well, <laughs> let's see if anyone can get James' kidney off him, too. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> let's I, see what offers I, you I, get. Hi. I'm taking bid. Shoot me a number. Shoot me a number. <laughs> hey, Andrew, if I can get enough money on my kidney, can we go get a rental in Arkansas? I need a, a good, affordable market. You darn. You don't probably only need half a kidney for a rental here in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get two rentals. I could probably get a guy in Arkansas to come pick it up from you too. <laughs> I also, James, I'm just gonna call bullshit right now on the idea that you're gonna chill out at some point you're addicted right. there's yeah no way you're, there's no way you're ever it gonna is. chill out yeah <laughs> valid valid point valid point all right well this was a lot of fun hopefully that answers the question um uh for our forum poster kohe brewer um thank you for posting if you want us to answer your questions you can do that on the bigger pockets forums Let's just, before we get out of here, remind everyone where they can connect with you all. Kathy, where should people find you? Uh, realwealth.com and my uh, fund, my Texas single family fund is growdevelopments.com. And of course, The Real Wealth Show is my podcast. Awesome. Henry, what about you? He's dancing. Hey, yeah, <laughs> best place to find me is Instagram at the Henry Washington on Instagram or check out my website, henrywashington.com. All right. And James? Very similar to Henry. Uh, uh, my Instagram is jdaneflips. We do a lot of free educational stuff on there. And then also we have our website at jamesdaner.com. Uh, Not henrywashington.com, but jamesdaner.com. <laughs> All right, great. And I am at the Data Deli on Instagram, or you can obviously always find me on Bigger Pockets as well. Thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully the show was really helpful to you. If it was, don't forget to share with friends or give us a great review on either Spotify or Apple. We appreciate all of you and we will see you next time for On The Market. On The Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, 
Head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.